0: Welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm Sharon Betters. When our 16 year old son Mark and his friend Kelly were in a fatal car accident, Chuck and I and our family were desperate for someone ahead of us in this journey to come alongside of us and help us navigate our grief and really, most importantly, to give us hope. We did receive help and hope from those other bereaved parents, and we knew. We wanted to be that same source of hope to others, coming behind us, no matter what the broken place was. The vision of our Help & Hope podcast is to be a safe place for hurting people to find support and guidance as they navigate their own turned upside down lives and broken places, whether caused by grief, broken friendships, wayward children, adultery, terminal illness, sex trafficking, sexual abuse depression, wherever the darkness is the greatest, and sometimes where it's easier to find hope in the privacy of your own home, or on a walk, or while you're driving your car, and listen to the podcast. Today, my husband Chuck is the host of today's Help and Hope podcast, and in this conversation, he is going to address a worldwide crisis that is destroying families, marriages, and individuals and that crisis is pornography. In part one of these conversations, Rebecca Hanna, who is the director of our Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling Center, joins Chuck as the two of them talk with Jonathan Holmes and Deepak Raju. Jonathan and Deepak have co-authored two books on pornography, Rescue Plan and Rescue Skills. They are both biblical counselors and draw on their own research and experience as biblical counselors, To offer concrete information and guidance on how to help pornography users in diverse circumstances to overcome addiction. Do you know someone who is struggling with this particular sin? Unfortunately, it's likely that you do. But also, unfortunately, you may not know how to help. In these two conversations, counselors Deepak and Jonathan provide biblical strategies for guiding a fellow believer. Toward recovery. Make sure that you listen to both parts one and two. And now let's join Chuck for this important Help and Hope podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Sharon. We appreciate the intro to our two guests. And gentlemen, we are so glad to have you here. And Rebecca, we're glad to have you as part of this interview. We're going to do this in two parts. The first part is on your first book, Rescue Plan. And the second part is on rescue skills. Deepak, let me ask you, first of all, to give us an overview of Rescue Plan, and why in particular did you write this book? What did you expect in writing both of these books, actually?
2: Yeah, thank you for asking that question. We set out to write a pair of books that would not equip specifically the strugglers, but there's actually a lot of good books on the market for strugglers of Pure in Heart by Garrett Kell, Finally Free by Heath Lambert, Hide and Seek by John Freeman. I can go on down the list of books that have been written by competent, biblically minded pastors, counselors, and authors help out. What we saw as a need was books that would help the pastor, counselor, small group leader, best friend, parent of a teenager really those who fit in the category of the helper, coming alongside the struggler. Now we think strugglers can read these two books and benefit from them, but the real need is coming alongside those who are getting in the trench and caring for those who are struggling with some form of a porn addiction. So Rescue Plan uh, sets out the what, when and why, So we go over the basic theology of addictions. We go through the differences between men and women with sexuality and struggling with sexual sin. We go through the issues of masturbation. We cover seasons of struggle, like teenagers, singleness, marriage. We just go through the different things. And the thing that I think we added that's very different is we have a specific chapter on dating and what happens when the boyfriend confesses to the girlfriend or the girlfriend confesses the boyfriend, what are they supposed to do in that situation? How how do they react to it? And how do they think through it in the midst of a dating relationship? So we've we've, we've tried to equip people to think through what to do, what, when, why. Rescue skills, which we're gonna talk about in the second program, is then the how. How do we now get in the trench? What are the questions you ask? How do you come alongside someone who's weary? How do you probe the heart? How do you assess what's wrong? How do you deal with the conscience and the desires and the emotions and the thinking patterns? We try and equip you with skills to know what to do when you're being a discipler, counselor, pastor coming alongside the addict. That's a quick explanation of the two books.
1: Jonathan, let me ask you, what is porn addiction?
2: Well, in the book,
3: in Rescue Plan, we cover five different aspects of what we believe uh, kind of just helps us really understand what we mean by that word addiction. Uh, We talk about addiction as voluntary slavery, as double-mindedness, foolishness, idolatry, and disorder desires. And we think that all five of those words really help paint a holistic portrait of what porn addiction is kind of keying off on that first term of voluntary slavery, where uh, most people who are addicted and enslaved to porn can remember can remember some of their first interactions, that there is this voluntary uh, choice that, that gets made to view pornographic material, uh, but that there's also this dynamic that, that many porn addicts experience where there's almost an automatic draw to it, where they continue in some of these cycles that they get caught up in. And so it's kind of those dual dynamics of it's voluntary. They're making a choice. But there's also just this repetitive cyclical nature that oftentimes we find occur both with men and women in porn addiction that really can kind of help capture the experience for the struggler. Let me, let me be very specific
1: about what I have observed when I have had the opportunity to speak to men and women in marital settings, when it comes to porn, I often hear this, and I'd like you both to react to this if you could. What is the harm? Who is being hurt by porn? And why do you Christians make so much out of it? Why do you call it a sin? Let me play devil's advocate and say that the secular world in which I have been exposed argues that there is no harm in pornography and that we as Christians are being way too Victorian about it.
3: No, I, I definitely don't agree. And There are, I would say, some secular arguments. I could push back against that in terms of there's no harm with pornography. But I would say, biblically speaking and spiritually speaking, a bigger question that we have to ask in the evaluation of anything in any relationship is not whether or not is it okay or does it work, but for what purpose is that intended for? What was it created for? And sex was never designed and created for it to be used in that way, in the way that pornography uh, traffics in markets and allows consumers to, to utilize it. If we want to know the proper use of sex in marriage, we have to go back to the one who created it, and that's God. And God designed and created sex in the use of our bodies in sex to be within a gendered and opposite gendered covenanted marriage relationship. And so introducing pornography into that dynamic is not in keeping with God's design. And so biblically speaking, I think for Deepak and I, that is the foundational question. It's not whether or not, oh, is it harming someone? Is it okay? Is my spouse okay if we look at porn or if we utilize porn? It really comes back to what did God design sex for in marriage? And does pornography help further that purpose? Or does it, does it cause disconnection and a breakdown of that intimacy within the marriage relationship?
2: So two things I would add to that, affirming what Jonathan said in terms of God's design, then what you see then practically as a, a man confesses to a woman or a woman confesses to a man about this struggle, when you answer that question, what's the harm? Just look at their face of the other person when they give you the sense of betrayal, the the lack of trust the deep hurt that comes from someone using this because porn objectifies and consumes image bearers in a way that god never intended and you get that sense of that you know you get that sense of that when you get into an intimate relationship and when you have a trusting loving safe secure relationship that has genuine intimacy built on it then you begin to understand how porn ruins the whole thing so good sexual desires are pornified. They're distorted in a way that God never intended. So tell tell that to any guy who confesses it to his girlfriend who was hoping for a guy who's been pure. And then you'll, you'll find out what the harm is right there. Or tell that to any husband who was caught by his wife. And you can see the expression of hurt and anger on her face. Well, you know, you don't have to argue with me anymore about the harm. We clean up the messes that porn- pornography makes. That's what we do with our full-time jobs, which puts the burden on us to get out ahead of the problem and write material that helps equip people to actually get in the trench and care for the ones who are struggling and save those who are s- slowly getting entrenched by this from being trapped in it in a lifetime.
1: You use the word addiction. Are you using that word in the same sense that you would alcoholism or drug abuse or any of those uh, chemical-based addictions interpreted by mental health officials and people like that? In other words, is there a chemical basis for calling pornography use addictive?
3: Chuck, it's a good question, and it's one that In terms of the research that we've read, there is not unity on that in terms of people viewing pornography as a classic addiction, typically because pornography would be more in the category of a behavioral addiction. And so a lot of people have somewhat been, been a little bit uneasy with that terminology as opposed to more classic addictions where a substance is being introduced and then they're becoming addicted, like heroin or cocaine or alcohol, where there's an outside substance that's being introduced to the body that the body's getting addicted to. Pornography is more of a behavioral addiction, something that you're continuing to come to, but it's not something that's necessarily chemically entering your body. But what we do know about pornography and how it's impacting us biologically and physiologically is that when people view pornography and when they're engaging in masturbation, that when they're looking at brain scans of addicts, both drug addicts and pornography addicts, that those same pleasure centers in the brain that are registering when people are getting a high on, say, drugs or heroin, et cetera, are also similar areas of the brain where people who are viewing pornography are also having that pleasure center part of the brain also be stimulated and exercised. And so there is, I would say, a tie in terms of pornography addiction being classified in that way, because physiologically something is happening in the brain. Dopamine is being released that excites and stimulates that particular part of the brain when we engage pornography. And over time, you need more and more, that's one of the things we know about pornography, you need more and more content uh, to release those chemicals, which, again, is why pornography is so addictive, because it only continues to escalate in terms of its usage with people.
2: Part of what we're trying to do is avoid the danger of over-spiritualizing things. So we do deal with faith and repentance and sin and idolatry and slavery. The fundamental part of an addiction is the desire that's overtaken your life. And that's part of what we talk about within the book. But we also don't want to separate it from the reality that we're embodied souls. So yeah. we have a whole chapter on the impact of pornography on the body and everything Jonathan just described. We get down to the effect on the brain, the, the, the dopamine receptors. We, we get into the nitty gritty, if you really want to understand the impact on the embodied part of us, along with all the things that we know in terms of my heart idolatries, my thinking patterns, my basic desires along with it. And that way we're trying not to be simplistic, we're trying to show the reality Mm. of us being holistic human beings, mind, soul, heart, conscience, body, in in regards to thinking through the addiction. That's why we ended up writing 500 pages in two books. (laughs) Not, not a simplistic issue. We want to deal with the complications that real life offers.
4: I really appreciate how much uh, emphasis you put on women struggling with pornography. Also, uh, as a counselor who's been counseling a long time, uh, we've been dealing with this issue for years and have often felt like no one is talking about this. So who's going to talk about it? So I really appreciate you guys leaning into that and not shying away from it. We need more pastors who are willing to lean in it and understand that this is not a gender specific problem, right? You know, I, as I was reading these two books and I read them at the same time, <laughs> so I'm not, I maybe have forgotten what's in which one. I thought they were excellent. I do wonder about the, the pendulum swing of our theology of sex and marriage. So we pursue purity as Christians and we teach purity as Christians. So how would you talk about one of the things I know in your book, you're talking about reorienting our lives around holy desires, which I love that, right? We're not just ripping out pleasure and desire, but we're reorienting that. As pastors and teachers, how do you think about teaching Christians not to starve themselves of pleasure, but actually pursuing God and knowing his pleasure? So so I guess the question is, how do you teach godly pleasure as best rather than no pleasure at all?
2: Yeah. Well, so my daughter and I, last night, were talking about Chocolate chip cookie dough, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Like she, wow. she didn't even know the idea. She didn't even know about Ben and Jerry's. I thought, oh, have I got something to introduce to you?
0: Uh, <laughs> as we
2: were both pining after cookie dough last night, and you know, it's a pleasure. It's a delight. You know, well, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a chocolate and an ice cream holic. I'm, I, I enjoy the pleasures that the Lord affords us, and so God is a God of pleasure. I mean he 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 gives us delight. Mm-hmm. He the gifting of food and sex and drink is comes from his hand. So James 1:17 every good and perfect gift comes from the f- above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So I don't I don't want to deny the reality of good pleasure. What I want to do is help people realize they've pornified the pleasures and ruined God's plan. There is good, healthy sexual desire within the right context of a covenant relationship. And so, first, we got to recover the concept of God's good design. That's what we argue in the book. And in that is both the boundaries that God intends and the pleasures that he offers us. We don't want to discard any of that and recognize how we in the fall have distorted all of that. So, we want to recover from the distortions, but then offer out to them then a much more beautiful plan. So when, when you get a hold of what God intends, both the boundaries and the pleasures, yeah, then you think like, I don't want to go back. Masturbation by itself is like a cotton candy high. If you get to I- experience intimacy in the context of a loving relationship that d- develops over years, man, that, that is like the top of the roller coaster and never coming off. What? Why on earth would I change the the best kind of pleasures and desires that god has for me for cotton candy eyes it just when you actually see the bigger picture of it it doesn't make sense when you're trapped in the middle of the desire then you think oh this is so good and you have this short-term short-sighted vantage point that when you pull the lens out and see what god intends you think oh that's a much better deal and and you know the, the dilemma is that women are now trapped just like you said And that's a new frontier that we wanted to press hard on because there's a rising generation right now of young women who are hitting the shores of our churches. And there's a stark difference between Generation Z and Alpha, the youngest generations that have been raised on technology. So no other generation has lived like them, And the baby boomers who rarely struggle with this and don't get it we were trying to send out a warning signal and saying like, get ready. Here it comes. Cause there's a new wave that's about to hit our shores. And a lot of pastors are ignorant of it. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet yeah. and get off my, get off my pedestal for a second. Cause I want Jonathan to be able to pipe in on this one.
3: No, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, one of the ways Rebecca too, that I think you can approach the issue is just simply in exposing the lie about pornography and masturbation. And that the promise that culture says is, Hey, Pursue this on your own terms, whenever you want, it's going to give you the most happiness and the most freedom. But anybody who who pursues pornography and masturbation ultimately says, when I pursue something with total freedom, it actually ends up enslaving me. And and that is the lie that pornography and masturbation sell to you is complete and total freedom and expression of yourself. And you end up getting enslaved to your own desires. And what we're telling people is no, Give yourself over to God's design, have it live and exist within a particularized framework that we're going to say is marriage, and experience the freedom and pleasure and joy of that within those confines. And I think what you'll actually find is that's actually infinitely far more fulfilling than the former.
4: Yeah, I often see too the so we're t- I'm talking about a pendulum, right? And swinging to the other end are uh, women uh, and maybe men, obviously, I'm not counsel- counseling men to this issue, but women who have gone for purity so deeply that now they're in marriage and they are not able to have sex or they're having a hard time entering into that that pleasure with their spouse. How would you counsel church leaders and those who are teaching to close that gap between pursuing purity but having a view of sex that that doesn't pose it as bad?
3: Yeah, I think, Rebecca, I think it's such a, a helpful point and observation, and I think that the church does need to step up In terms of how they talk about sex, how they talk about purity, you know, one of the first starting points for us is in Genesis 128, where God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, that's an invitation into his redemptive program, not a prohibition. It's not don't do this. It's no, here's an invitation into God's good design. And so starting from there saying, listen, God created sex, it is for your good, it is a seal and a sign on this marriage covenant, it is not even originally designed as a prohibition of don't do this, don't look at this, don't touch this, it is no here, here are the confines by which God wants you to enjoy and desire this good gift. And I think far too often, you're right, the church has just not done a good job at rightly talking about the pleasure of sex, the goodness of sex, the honor of sex, you know, thinking about Hebrews 13, the marriage bed is undefiled. We don't talk about it just even in general, because we're just puritanical and Victorian. And what happens then is somebody else is going to be more than happy to disciple your children, your wives, your husbands on the topic, uh, because the church, frankly, has just abdicated their role in that. And so, again, I think a large part of what Dee and I have tried to do in these books is try to set a much more holistic and passionate and God glorifying vision for what healthy sex and a healthy expression of sex can look like uh, in marriage.
4: Deebak, I want to go back to something that you said um, as I was reading, because I've done a lot of college ministry counseling college students. And you're right that that generation of new iPhone kids, right, that are coming up. And I did notice throughout the years of, I've never heard these kinds of confessions uh, from females about pornography. And I was always incredibly impressed when they were willing to confess and willing to tell me what was actually going on, particularly as a a seasoned counselor. I I haven't heard women confess these things. So now all of a sudden we have college students, which are about the the generation you're talking about. Um, And even I was having a conversation with one of those women who had counseled a long time ago. And she said, every female in my community group has confessed this. And it kind of blew my mind thinking, oh my goodness, can you imagine if it's just this community group in a conservative evangelical church that's confessing this to each other, Uh, what what kind of new pandemic do we have here, right? Um, So what would you say to women's ministry leaders who are looking at this, who are maybe out of that generation, uh, but want to be equipped to help uh, the people, the, the women coming up that you're talking about, how do they prepare themselves to step into the trenches?
2: We wrote the books to equip people who are asking that question, just helping them to begin to understand if they think, wow, I have no idea how to handle addiction and the cultural term addiction with all the baggage, it scares them off and thinking, that sounds pretty serious. I don't know what to do with that. Well, no, 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 no. We're equipping people in the trenches who are doing basic ministry and are going to encounter these problems. That's number one. Number two, break the silence. There's so much shame attached to this issue. So you need to begin to be open and honest about it in in any format that allows you, whether that's a Sunday school class. So this coming Sunday, I'm teaching a whole Mm -hmm. class on shame to a group of members just to be more explicit about it. And I've contacted all the leadership in in, in our church to say, if somebody's wrestling with shame, get them in my class this Sunday, because I want them to have some sense that myself as one of the leaders are talking about these issues and, and being open about it so that we can have an environment where people can feel like, oh, they want to deal honestly with these things. They're, they're, they don't want us to hide. They want us to come forward and be honest with our life. So break the silence, create a culture. Second thing is ask. You'd be surprised because men have struggled with this for generations. You know, go all the way back down to like Hustler and Playboy and you go back into the 60s and 70s. There's a much more established culture of men helping one another in this in churches, much more open culture of dealing with this because it's assumed that men would deal with it. It's a little bit more difficult for women because there's a generational gap that we're facing right now. And so, therefore, there's not an established culture. And I'm afraid that gap is going to create problems. If the older generation of women as disciples don't speak up and they don't ask, then there's going to be a younger generation that's suffering and figuring this out on their own. So therefore, they they need to have people say, do you struggle in the one-on-one discipling relationships, in the more intimate settings, in community group, places that are safe for them to be able to speak up? And we included, we did a ton of interviews in the chapter on differences between men and women, and we included several professionals, one you know, an assistant dean of, of, of a school, one a professional counselor who said similar things like women were were shy about bringing this up, but they could tell that they were struggling with something. So they went ahead and asked. And then what you'd see is like, oh, you're giving me permission to speak up and then it would roll all roll out. So we try to include some quotes that captured that kind of idea of you know, there are a lot of women who want to a place to talk about it. There are a number of women who are struggling. They're confessing to one another. So we now need to break the silence and let us have a more open culture. The other thing is pastors need to stop calling this a man's issue. That creates twice as much shame for a woman who's struggling with this, and it makes them just hide even further. Pastors need to be clear that both men and women struggle with this, and they're inviting both of them to find... You know, older men and women of faith, same sex. So men discipling men, women discipling women, Titus 2, and go talk about these issues so that they can get the help that they need. At what point do you or
1: do you distinguish between somebody who is a struggler
3: and somebody who's an addict? Chuck, that's a that's a good question. I would say a lot of it would just be repetition, how long and how much time is being given over to this issue. Um, Like when I think of a struggler, I think of someone who is perhaps making progress in this area. They're getting help, but there continue to be areas where they give in or they fall into sin. Uh, Addiction, and again, coming back to that label that we've talked about, uh, to me, strikes at a greater and a much more chronic uh, experience of the struggle than just the everyday struggler to where it's impacting their relationships, it might be impacting their work, it might be impacting their other responsibilities. So I I do think sometimes there is a differentiation between maybe those two descriptive terms. And that's where within the counseling process, I think asking good questions and doing a lot of good data gathering and listening, it'll be helpful for you to know what you're dealing with.
1: Where does this war on pornography actually begin?
2: I think the war begins with access, Uh, access, points that people have on all forms of technology, even on things like TV and Netflix uh, to uh, harden in hard content, you need to figure out where to cut off the access points. I think a lot of people know that they work at that. So covenant eyes, blocking websites do a lot of things, but I don't, I don't know, you know, and I, I do this pretty regularly when I'm meeting up with people. I met up with a guy who's been struggling for a long time recently, confessed to me. And I said, after the first meeting, I said, all right, show up tomorrow and bring your phone and we're going to work through your phone to shut it down so that you cannot get any more access to it. And literally that means I'm going to get on the phone with him and we're going to work through all the steps to completely shut it down. I don't think most people know how to do that. That's one problem. They do not know the standard, which is Matthew 5. Jesus says, cut off your arm, gouge out your eye, which I take as you need to be radical, not passive when it comes to dealing with sin. That's the biblical standard. All, Garrett Kell, who wrote Pure in Heart that came out Crossway recently, had lunch with one of the guys I'm helping. And he, he held up his phone and said to that guy, I, you put a gun to my head and I cannot find it on my phone. He has, he has so shut his phone down, he doesn't know how to get to it anymore. I think most guys have not set that, and ladies have not set that standard up for themselves. So you need to be brutal about cutting off access. Most strugglers and addicts I talk to, I offer them, hey, tell me or, when you're tempted, what's the one place you have in the back of your mind where you know you can go to to get something? And if they say, oh, yeah, I, I, I know where I do that. I think. Well, you haven't come, cut off completely all the access. Then you haven't hit that standard that I'm saying. If you can come up with that in your mind, that's one. But once you cut off access, you do not end the battle there because then that just allows us to begin to focus on our heart. Because what the long term change is through the pathway of the heart, and so therefore access is just a first step in dealing with it. You got to cut up. You got to then deal with heart issues, revise accountability, get them plugged into community get them, uh, get, get, get through a number of other things that'll help them. But I think access is the first step.
1: At what point in your dealings with a young man who is struggling with pornography and maybe even is addicted to it, at what point in that struggle does he communicate to his wife or his girlfriend or his, you know, whoever he's in love with at that point? that he is struggling with it. At what point does a man tell his wife?
3: Yes, I would say, you know, first of all, that first admission and confession, ideally we wouldn't even want to happen with the wife. We would really want it to happen before the Lord. And that's always where that initial confession needs to come because the sin's ultimately against the Lord. And so encouraging the husband, listen, even before you do go to your wife or go to an accountability partner, have you gone before the Lord? Uh, have you confessed before the Lord and asked the Lord to search you and to try you. In the book, we do try to give some different guidelines and some framework on ways that you can discuss and talk about this struggle with your wife. Personally, I don't believe that your wife is your primary accountability partner. I don't think that that is her primary role. And so to uh, utilize your wife as kind of just this general catharsis where you can kind of just share about all of your struggles and, and porn problems, I think actually places a fairly high burden on her, both mentally and emotionally, and and even as it relates to your intimacy. So we really try to think hard about what are ways that you can talk about and dialogue about your struggle with your spouse, but at the same time, not shift that burden of responsibility to change and to get help over to her. So I think that there's some, I would say, more high-level ways that you can discuss that. You were talking, Chuck, about at what time. I would say early intervention is going to be better than later down the road. So if a couple has a history and has, I would say, just a culture of just mutual confession of, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. These are things that ensnare me or um, things that trip me up, then this discussion probably won't come as a surprise. Whereas, you know, if you choose not to bring this up for eight, nine, ten years, it's going to be I think it's going to have a much more of a large seismic impact on the relationship. So I think that that conversation needs to be done earlier rather than later. It needs to be done with discretion and with wise counsel from other people that are involved in your life, and it needs to be done primarily in a way that doesn't shift the burden over to your spouse, but that accepts responsibility for what you, as the individual, have done.
2: Yeah, just to distinguish that. Then, with a boyfriend, which you had mentioned, both the wife and a girlfriend, husband and a boyfriend, uh, we don't think boyfriends should be dating if they're struggling with pornography. We make that really clear in the book. If there's a consistent pattern of pornography that they're wrestling with, if they're not just a addict, but also a struggler, we think they need to do the work of getting that under control in their life, because you shouldn't take responsibility for a girlfriend and soon to be a wife, if you can't even take responsibility for yourself just yet. If you haven't learned self-control and the kind of maturity that's required in, in dealing with that. So we work through the dating chapter, the parameters, which we think means you break it off and work through this issue before you start dating. Does that mean you're perfect? No, never. But does that mean we think you need to get this under wraps before you enter into a dating relationship? Yeah, we think so. And guys who, cause there are a lot of guys who struggle with, think we're crazy and women like cheer us on. Like you can't even imagine because I'm doing training groups with both, both, both sets of groups and the women love this chapter and the men hate this chapter overall when it comes to dating. But we're, we're trying to set, what we think is an important bar because we clean up the messes in marriage. We see what it does to marriage. So we've made us much more aggressive on the front end when it comes to dating and saying, don't, don't enter into dating. If you're messing around with pornography, just do not do that because it, it'll create trust issues and betrayal at, at the foundational level in dating, even before you get married. And that's a really poor foundation on which to build your marriage.
1: Both of you, can you respond to this? Uh, Walk us through the four ingredients of giving in to temptation. You call it the four A's.
2: Yeah, easy. Uh, So we talked about access points, access points in terms of cutting off the avenues you have to get the pornography, being brutal about it. Matthew 5, make sure you cut off your arm, gouge out your eye and be radical about it. Appetite, the most fundamental aspect of every addiction is the desire and the wanting of something that you should not have, the carnal desire, the inordinate desire, the ruling desire that's taken over your life. And so access point, appetite, anonymity, in order to look at porn, you gotta hide. Sexual sin's not done, open, and in the public. So Proverbs 18:1. whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, breaks out against all sound judgment. You know, you you, you isolate yourself, you run away, then you're able to get the pornography, Nobody looks at pornography out in the open in public when everybody's walking around them uh, in in general. So what is a typical scenario? Single man alone late at night with the door shut. So access point, appetite, anonymity, and atheism. The moment you act out, you're choosing your sin rather than God. It's a basic step of unbelief. Mm -hmm. And the most important paradigm we have is faith versus unbelief. That characterizes why we choose sin. And so we need to understand not just why I did this, but how this is an offense against God and how I'm doubting who God is, his character, and what he has done for us. Now, you know, you, you don't necessarily get that as an explanation. Most people don't think vertically. They think horizontally Against about their pornography, about their relationships. And so a basic thing we do for anybody is help them think about their relationship with the Lord. That's the four A's framework mm-hmm. that we offer in Rescue Plan that helps people. People to think through the active ingredients in the moment when someone acts out, what's going on,
1: Jonathan? Anonymity I've run into recently men who have convinced their spouse that pornography would be good for both of them in their sexual relationship and they watch it together, no anonymity there. What yeah. would you say? What would you say to
3: that couple, right? You know, it's kind of similar to, to what we talked about earlier. I would say again that is just not in keeping with God's purpose and design for sex. If God's purpose and design for sex is between a husband and a wife and that sex ultimately is a sign of the covenant and brings some glory introducing in this pornographic element where even maybe the two people are agreeing to it that is not in keeping with building the intimacy of the marriage. Even though a spouse might agree to that just look at their face. I I have never I've never encountered a spot where a wife has said yeah this is this is a positive force this has helped us build intimacy this has helped us build connection uh, this has helped us glorify the lord when we have introduced this into our relationship mm-hmm. and so i think the anecdotal evidence for that is just look at the fruit the fruitfulness of introducing something like that into the marriage relationship it ultimately tears it apart your attention, your desire is not oriented towards your spouse, which is what the Lord commands us. It's oriented towards something else that's disembodied and disconnected from you. One
1: final question for both of you is this. You have a guy sitting out there right now listening to you expound on the book that you wrote. Besides telling him, go get our book and read our book because it will be very helpful to you. Besides that, What challenge would you give him right now? What would you say to him if he were sitting across the desk from you right now? And he says to you, I am struggling with porn. My wife does not know it. We've been married for 10 years. It's very painful for me. I can't stop. I can't quit. What advice do you have for him?
2: I would say go find the most godly man. In your own local church, go confess to him that you're wrestling and humbly put yourself under his leadership to help you walk through the problem. And that is, don't just find any godly Christian, go find one in a gospel preaching, Bible-loving church and plant yourself in that church and plant put yourself under leadership of that godly man. And if you're humble enough to let him lead you out of the pit of despair that you're in then you're ready to start doing the work. And, you know, I'll put a conjunction on it so I get two there. Uh, <laughs> and you gotta believe that God can change you. If you don't believe that God can do anything with this, then you're in trouble to start with. That's the two I would throw in. Jonathan, what do you wanna add?
3: Well, no, I'll just, I'll just borrow your last one. The, I think the thing that I would tell him, Chuck, is I would say there's always hope in Christ. And if there's an individual right now who's listening to this, Uh, who's ensnared, who's addicted, who struggled with this for a short period of time, a long period of time, there can be a sense of where it just is so much a part of my life. It's never going to change. I always give in. And what I would want you to hear is that, that Christ knows your struggle. He's done something about that struggle. And believe the hope of the gospel. Believe the good news that you are more sinful than you ever thought possible, but you are more loved than you ever thought possible as well. If you really, truly believe that you do some of these things that that Deepak is saying about going and getting under another godly man's leadership and accountability, I think that's a very, very good starting point to begin this journey of change. Would you, Jonathan, pray for that man? Father, we come before you this afternoon, and uh, Lord, we know that there are many who might be listening, who might be watching, men or women, Uh, Lord, who might just be frankly overwhelmed and overcome by this besetting sin. Uh, Lord, we know that oftentimes in a point of struggle, we can feel overwhelmed and alone in the midst of that. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would minister hope and comfort, but also a dose of reality, Lord, that this is not this is not the life that they were designed and created for. Uh, help them to see that through confession and repentance, they can have joy and freedom. Lord, I think about what David says in Psalm 16, 9. He says, I have set the Lord always before my face. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to forsake just the temporary pleasures that this world so easily offers to us. And Lord, help us to see the beauty that you offer to us through Christ. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like,
1: comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M A R K I N C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics online counseling services are also available through anchored hope biblical counseling by visiting help that's help and download the help and hope app on your mobile device hope
3: is just one click away